Hey everyone, in this conversation, I'm talking with musician East Forest, who recently released a spoken word and music album with Ram Das. It's really, really a wonderful way to hear the teachings of Ram Das in a new way. Throughout this conversation, you're gonna to get to hear samples from various tracks on this album. I highly encourage you to find it either on the streaming service that you use or uh, on East Force website, which we'll offer later in the podcast. For those of you who are new to the teachings of Ram Das, welcome. Um, you may or may not be aware of who Ram Das was. Um, for the last 50 years or so, he has held a really beloved place in the West as a spiritual teacher. He has, in his lifetime, given hundreds if not thousands of public talks around compassion, spirituality, and the ways in which we can relate to the truth of ourselves, our experience, and to each other. He also was the author of a number of books that are really beautiful guides on the path, I think, of exploring um, our role, our place in this life. Ram Das passed away at the end of December of 2019. And we feel that this is, in a small way, kind of our, our way to acknowledge the depth, the breadth, and our gratitude for his teachings and our gratitude to East Forest for creating this, this new way for Ram Dass's teachings to continue. Enjoy. Trees. Grasses, water, sun, stars, moon, clouds, rain. excited to talk about your music and Ram Das and your experience and this project and how you did it, how you were inspired to think about doing it. So we can just jump in anywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I mean, like you, Ram Das was someone who was important to me as a sort of a teacher in the wings, as listening to his talks mostly and his books, Be Here Now, of course. And um, I never thought I would do an album with him or it would have the means to. And I actually really wanted to meet him. And I also didn't even know how that would happen. So it's sort of in incredible how it all unfolded in the end. You know, and how close I felt I became to him and his work and helping him in a small way transmit his 
work, some of the last teachings, possibly the last verbal teachings he gave, which was obviously not any part of any plan, but that's looking back how it turned out, which is extremely humbling and still processing for me how that all panned out and how he ended up passing. The timing of it was profound because it was it was around the solstice or the winter mm-hmm. solstice and then the end of we we released some additional like remixes that we called reworks and that was an album of eight songs and that came out it was planned to come out and it came out a few days after he died and that was the end of the project so like the end of the year and a half long release schedule was the same as his life which is just like bananas and hard to wrap my head around because then when i'm listening to what we recorded together in 2018 in the summer a lot of the things he's talking about, it's very um, like a premonition of his own future. And obviously he knew he was close to death in a sense. Mm-hmm. And he has spoken about that in, especially in uh, some of his later writings, but it just had a, it just had new meaning. And this is a song called like taking off an old shoe, AKA yes. death. And you know, he can't help thinking about his own death, obviously all of our deaths. But that song, I'm Loving Awareness, is definitely one of the more special and magical ones on the record, mostly because of, um, I think, how Krishna Das and Ram Das are on the song together. Mm-hmm. And there's not another musical or recorded song that exists with the two of them together. And they're brothers, you know. Yes. Of soul brothers. And they met Maharaji sort of around the same time. And mm-hmm. so having that that sort of the way they're weaving around each other in that song is just incredible. Yeah, it's so beautiful. That all of it is just so beautiful. Death is a a ceremony. In which one takes off one pair of clothes and adopts a new one. That's from the soul perspective. From the ego, death is stopping point. It's the end of the ego. The ego sees death as suffering. And the soul sees death as the awakening. I'm curious how you got started, you know, talking about your feeling of wanting to meet him. And I I share that with you. I didn't have the opportunity to meet him, but um, can definitely relate to that. But in thinking about inviting him to come in and share teachings and thinking about how you could layer that with your own beautiful artistry, how did that inspiration even come to you? Well, my music, I've been doing East Forest for about 10 years, and it's always involved original field recordings, off, or I should say often. And those take the shape as sometimes like nature field recordings that I record out in 
wilderness places or anywhere that where I'm struck by a certain sound and how it touches me. And then it also involves sometimes recordings of people talking or sounds that are more modern or digital in a sense. That's kind of been a bit of my wheelhouse for since the beginning of my project. And one of my actually two of my most popular songs I noticed or have noticed that they are ones of sort of like I call them talkies jokingly because they're you know they they have words like sort of like the Ramdas songs. And one of them is called 10 Laws. It's one of the first songs I ever wrote for the project and it's a friend of mine named VC Johnson who's just he's like a mystic in the Santa Barbara Hills, uh, an elder of mine and he's more of a trickster and jokester and uh, beat poet in a way, but he's just an amazing guy. Got a lot figured out for himself. So he, he I would record him when we were in these long sessions where he's sort of just riffing for hours and one of the many many things he said was these 10 laws and a hunter-gatherer's code of 10 that he lives by and I put it to music and it became a song that a lot of people resonated with and then there's another song of uh, called grandmother's fear of whereas me giving notes to myself in also 2008 uh, after my first ayahuasca ceremony experience with Peruvian shamans and I was just taking notes like audio notes to myself so I kind of remember uh, mm-hmm. things I'd come to my mind and my heart. And I put that to music later, like 2012 or something. And that became quite popular. So I just knew that people, they seemed to like that. And I was also very comfortable with putting that sort of style of talking and making edits to it and putting it to music. It was just felt very comfortable with me. So when I thought about like, you know, who are the kind of people who would be the most amazing in that, who has the most poetry and, and power. And I was like, well, Ramdas is someone that meant a lot to me. And yes. I thought that would be incredible. So it was just great timing. And I, I had reached out. I had met Raghu Marcus, who's the, the director of the whole foundation, the whole organization. He's like the boss man through his podcast. And then I just kind of pitched in the idea. I was like, I, you know, I have this idea. And I, here's why I think I'm the guy to do it. And I wanted to bring in a bunch of featured artists and other artists. And so I'd sort of helped direct that. And they, it was just good timing because they had been thinking about things like this and other people had been sort of asking about it in a similar way. So I think they thought I could help put it together and orchestrate it. And that's just how it was meant to be. And looking back, it feels very much directed by Maharaji. And, you know, when I, that's sort of when I say like from that inception and those ideas to it sort of aligning with his own death and his work and the fact that he gave me a new first name and, uh, the way it changed my personal life and the way it transformed a lot of my career has has been profound. And I, I really don't feel like I've grasped all of that or understand it, but it feels really special. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I can imagine that sort of the unfolding and the, the deepening of the magnitude of it is still, there's a lot still yet to yeah. come to consciousness, I guess. It's still it's still unfolding. It still feels like it's in in process, but it's been really beautiful. And it's really it. Our whole mission with it originally, like my sort of quote pitch, was like I want to help connect Ramdas's teachings to new ears, mm-hmm. uh, especially younger ears, and it's working. Yes, uh, it's just a small piece of his ecosystem, but it's a really fun way. And I'm biased, but I think music was an amazing technology to use with him him because because of the stroke he had many years like 20 years ago he had the aphasia so it was difficult to connect the thoughts in his head to words even though the thoughts were all there 
Mm-hmm. But what happens is from the outside perspective, especially with our short attention spans, it would appear that it's very difficult to follow his train of thought because there might be 30, 60 seconds or more between words. This is what I would experience when I recorded him. But I was like, it doesn't matter because I'll just take out the pauses and I'll just get little phrases and they're going to go inside the rhythm of music. And all of a sudden, your brain, when you're listening to it in the music, all you're hearing is his ideas and his words. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he comes alive mm-hmm. and he comes alive the age of 88 years old and not just that you're sort of like he's locked behind that aphasia but now inside the music it's it was ramdas in modern times speaking to modern times and you're suddenly realizing fully at the height of his powers wisdom and experience like the poetry he was giving me and the words were just unbelievable i barely edited them you know what i mean i thought i'd get a phrase or two here and there and I might loop it and it'd be kind of experimental. I didn't expect to get like, I'd ask a question and he would from start to finish give me like essentially one minute's worth of perfect words on like death or nature or, you know, I mean, he was, he was such a master and he was just sh- he was flexing in that moment in such an easy way for him. And it was, it was showing his deep, deep experience. It's incredible. You know, when I listen to the album and I have many times <laughs> in like the last week and a half since I discovered it myself, I, I've been really struck by that. And that was one of the things I was really curious about is, is how the teachings came through. If it was something that was um, pre-planned or if it was just out of dialogue oh, that the two of you yeah. had. It was very casual. Uh, I went to his home in Maui and his, we went home to his study and it would be in between something like, you know, I had an hour or two or three blocked out and I just set up a really nice microphone in front of him. He's in his recliner. The first day he just had lunch. So he's sort of, I remember sort of awkward. It's like I walk in, he's sort of digesting, literally finishing eating a big bowl of lentils and I'm like, okay, we're going to record. And he's like, what? What are we doing? You know, and okay. And he just drops in. Just He gets his beads out and he's just like, he's always sort of in that space, but he would just drop into that soul space and take his time. I'd, and I'd ask a question and he would just w- w- take some time to find the answer and then start. And he just, I would just let him go until I felt he was complete. And he'd look over at me and be like, okay, uh, next question. <laughs> I, I didn't expect it to be that formal in a sense, but Like I said, I didn't expect him to uh, give me such complete, well-thought-out answers as well. Mm -hmm. The oneness of the universe is love. No, you mentioned um, the the track like taking off an old shoe as being one that really resonated for you. Um, and while I'm sure everything that he said was really quite resonant and had a big impact, but are there any any particular teachings in that time with him? Either ones that you recorded, or even ones that maybe just came through 
when the microphones weren't on that have really touched you in a way? Well, when the microphones were on, I think my favorite track is one called Dark Thoughts. I like that track both both musically, how it came to be, and how it kind of unfolded was full of lots of serendipity and just got better and better through a lot of happenings. But what he says in it really was personal for me, this idea about depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation. I was asking him, like, what do we do with this stuff? And his answer, when you listen to the song, essentially has to do with loving your dark thoughts as opposed to pushing them away or here's a technique to not have to hear them. It's like, no, no, no. What if you sort of hold them like a scared child? And it's such a beautiful way of approaching such a, it's such a tired subject in a way. Uh, but that's something I think about a lot. And as I'm witnessing the show going by in my mind and my life, I think about how can I love it as opposed to try to change it. I can witness it as opposed to trying to push it away. And that's something that's been, that's kind of popped up in my, my own thinking from different times. Like that song, Grandmother's Fear, I referenced before. My own revelation in 2008, I, and I say it at the end of the song, is like I was witnessing my ego in the psychedelic experience as like this masterful trickster in a sense. But my takeaway was like that I wanted to become teammates with my ego and partners, not eliminate it. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, 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 we're working together. And how can I do that more gracefully? Um, and then when the microphones were off, I think what Ram Dass transmitted the most that, that landed with me the most with nothing was nothing that he said. It was just the way he gave me his full presence and attention that was remarkable, like right immediately. Like we looked at each other and just eye gazed for a while. And I was just a bit floored with the power of it, of someone fully giving you all of their attention. Mm-hmm. and lovingly. And that was also witnessing to me as a mirror how we can do this with anyone at any time. And it's not a special skill. It's just one that is available to us at all times. And that that was profound. And I think that's probably why a lot of people wanted to meet him is just, like, just to like feel that or see that. Was like, but I also realized it wasn't anything um, unique. It's, it's just, that's something he was just like, I'll get, he didn't know me. Like he's just giving it immediately. I'm just giving it to you. He's just giving it to you. And so it was a sort of a inspiration for how we could do that with others. And I thought that was very powerful. It's interesting, you know, when I, as I've been thinking about him more and more and how in so many ways, right. He, he just feels like he was such a really special and extraordinary human being and he absolutely was, you know, in, in many ways. But I, I also am really struck by the example that he was for all of us as humans, that at any point and any time in our lives, we can begin to wake up to the truth of who we are beyond the roles that we have and the sense of um, achievements, right, and status and things like that. And I think about you know, how he described what his life was like and the way that he was oriented to his life prior to going to India, you know, and um, having the the roles and the status of being the, the Harvard professor and the esteemed psychologist and, you know, making the money and having the mm-hmm. his own little plane and, you know, all of those things and really just such a deep transformation into recognizing the the truth of the the oneness of us all and that the roles are not the reality 
of who we are. And that in and of itself is a really powerful teaching around the, the, the potential of our own transformation. Yes. And it's important to think about it too as not a destination and one that is, again, available in your next breath. Like it's not something like you have to wait to earn or learn. I mean, it's also interesting that he took a pretty significant change after he had his stroke. I was just talking to Trudy Goodman yesterday, a meditation teacher, and she's known him for a long time or knew him. She says she didn't actually really like him. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, meaning like she didn't resonate with him as much until after his stroke. And then she fell in love with him. <laughs> he changed, you know, it, something like, I mean, obviously had he, a lot of the change was forced on him. Like he just couldn't communicate in the same way, but it seemed to create a spaciousness inside him that was then allowed something else to shine through even more. And there's weird irony that the thing he was the strongest at, which is speaking in a sense, words, charisma, mm -hmm. stage presence was what was taken away from him. But then oddly over time, he became more charismatic just with pure energy. And by the end of his life, like a few months ago, was the last time I saw him at the Maui retreat, he wasn't all, pretty much not speaking at all. He's just pure presence. He was just there like looking at you and, you know, just beaming. And that's how it ended. And it's like, well, how, how incredible is that? You know, the, the journey goes from like his whole shtick is talking and doing it so well. And there's 50,000 hours of recordings of him to saying nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and being the most powerful and the most influential, you know, at the end. Uh, and that's one of the things I liked about making this record is that uh, it's honoring wisdom and elders and someone who has all these years of experience and put shining a light on it and doing it in a way where he didn't have to say much. There was some talk early on about asking me to use his old recordings because they felt like that was when he was quote, quote unquote, the strongest, right? The most powerful. And I, and I was really adamant that I wanted to use the latter, his current day for many reasons, but because I'm like, I was like, I, my story is different. My story is that he's more powerful now. And uh, yeah, I just wanted them to trust me as like, believe through this technology of recording and the music, it'll, it'll work. You just have to take my, you know, take a leap of faith because there's so much power in, in less, you know, less words and the right ones, which is what he was such a master at, can really hit home. We don't need to have an hour long lecture. We just can have one minute with the perfect words. And that's what I was like, I, I'm pretty sure he can pull that off. And without me even asking, that's what he did. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The universe is a manifestation of the one. And the oneness is inside the soul. The soul is our real self. The ego is who we think we are. And the soul is really, really who we are. 
the music is so beautiful in in this album. I I just I I love 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 everything about it. I think it's so brilliant. You know, I I know you mentioned um it's a way to introduce younger people to these teachings which um it feels really right and I'm excited about students here at the University of Arizona being introduced to to your work and to this this whole piece and there's also something really powerful in the teachings getting in with the with the music as well and I love the way that the the tones in in the songs you know there'll be uh, a playfulness that you bring in in the music when he's storytelling so that mm-hmm. I forget the name of the track but it, it's the one where he talks about his initial journey with Some, psilocybin uh, with oh, Tim Leary yeah. and it's called home yeah yes yes yeah. and it's uh I, I just love where he's talking about sitting on the couch in the living room and thinking like well at least I got my body and then he looks down and like <laughs> There's nobody. nobody. And, yeah. and the music that you that you bring in is like this really playful light, you know, kind of interlude to something that could feel frightening. I love the way right. that you did that. Well, he's he he married together, I think, the intellectual and the psychedelic and uh, humor as kind of his pillars. And so I love that he brought that into a lot of our recordings. Like the first, I asked him some long-winded question about psilocybin research and psychedelic assisted therapy and the Renaissance that's happening and all these things. And he sort of was like, okay, okay. He's looking at me, waiting for me to finish. And then the first thing he says is psilocybin is my friend because he knows that's a great opener. That's a funny <laughs> line. And like, let's start with, you know, let's, and he's just, he was great. And we laughed and then he continued and, for anyone who's experienced psilocybin, they know it can have sort of uh, tr- some indigenous in Mexico, uh, they would call it uh, Nino Santos, or the little children. It has mm-hmm. this childlike energy, this sort of carnivalesque at times energy. So I thought it was important that the music, uh, for because of what he's saying, had a lightness to it, uh, that it would also have a kind of, um, that song has a bit of a Cuban feel in a sense. And so each song was like a mini film score. You're just sort of listening to what he said. And it's like, what, what's the vibe that wants to support this? Because the music is amplifying the emotional content of what he's saying by a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like a film score. That's why it's there. That's what makes this so powerful for people is because the words are already quite potent, but you add the music and it sort of takes you on a ride where it becomes a felt experience becomes an embodiment and that's one of the ways that it really helps connect with people who've never heard it before or younger people because they they feel it emotionally and it helps them kind of understand what he's saying even if they don't fully understand maybe a certain word or two they feel it and so that's a doorway in for them to have an, an embodied experience so it's not just something intellectual and that's what i love about music is that we can use it as a tool like that um to to have you have you have you you're feeling it yourself like i'm not telling you how to feel right and and there's something very human and universal about that and connecting the i love what you said about having the the realization um of rather than wanting to destroy the ego to see it as as your partner you know to work with it to be with it um in sharing practices around cultivating compassion that's one of the things that 
we talk about in, in different terms are really around, you know, this ability to learn how to embrace our fullness and the wholeness of our experience, which you touched on earlier, you know, not wanting to turn away from difficult emotions, difficult experiences, but actually to learn how to be with them and recognize the temporary nature of those dark thoughts or dark feelings. Mm. And I think there's so much power in so many different ways of navigating our experience. And I think music is such a powerful way to bring healing. And clearly that's a big part of your creativity is it just, it feels like music is really uh, a tool, not only for expression for you, but really a a vehicle for healing. So I want to invite you to kind of speak to that if that feels comfortable. I, I think it brings healing to me personally by the act of making and playing music. And that's mostly, I think, the form of creativity itself, I believe, is a unique human ability that brings a lot of nourishment to all of us. Being creative in any form, it could be even free riding or cooking or anything that engages that element of creation. I believe it's something that makes us singular as as human beings. So there's something that feels like you feel very alive when you're doing it. So I've I've just discovered that it's it's sort of a mental health thing for me. And then I've noticed that the kind of music I'm drawn to to either create and often to listen to is usually something that's deeply emotional and that's helping me feel a certain feeling that I'm yearning for. I think there's a universal feeling of angst or unrequitedness in our existence that manifests for people in different ways. For some people, it's much more overt, like they have a religious practice that's their mainstay of their life. Or for others, it might be uh, a heroin addiction or Maybe it's just sort of like their obsession with sports and Monday night football and something about that makes them feel alive and they don't have any other way yet that they've discovered or that's the fullness of their awareness. But it's not a judgment. It's more saying we're all yearning to be one with the universe or God or source, whatever is the trunk of the branch that we are a leaf of. And something about incarnation is wanting to return to it, but we're in this predicament where we're I mean, this is my own viewpoint of sort of working out our, our, our karma to, for the experience of knowing ourselves and um, the enfoldment of, of just being. Um, so, but we're meant to not know, we're meant to forget, we're meant to be here for the experience we're meant to have. And each of us is doing the dance we're supposed to do. And so we, we each are just doing it in our, our own way. And for me, music is one of the main ways I'm able to do that. And I also get a lot of pleasure out of being able to share it with other people. And that I think is just part of the dance that I'm doing. Um, and it's all like this perfect tapestry of connection and, uh, between all of us. And sort of like co-conspirators singing one, uh, one another awake as I like to think about it. Um, but even the ways, mostly you know, the ways we don't think it's part of it, it's all part of it. <laughs> like the, the problems we have and the disagreements and the family members and those you, view as quote unquote asleep it's like no i mean we're all do we're all awake in a sense just in our own ways yeah. and we're all making choices and those choices are what makes our 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 time here so relevant our, our ability to choose is what allows karma to happen 
And karma just being sort of like cause and effect. Like you could look at it almost scientifically, like you make a choice in your mind and there's energetic synapses firing and there's just sort of a tiny reverberation that happens with that uh, across all time and space, just electrically even. And there's, it ripples around and hits things and those things hit other things. And it's impossibly complex, infinite space of cause. And then there is reverberation effect, just like a sound wave hitting these walls around, maybe it's bouncing around in all sorts of different ways. That's just the way it is. And that's sort of the boundary conditions of the universe we're in. So music, I believe we haven't, or we, we don't really fully grok its potential. It's something that we 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 kind of take it for granted because it's so ever present in our lives, and even like the way we communicate is with sound. Like right now, I'm making sounds with my my throat and my mouth and breath, so we can understand ideas. It's just the way it is, um, but it's encoded into a lot of our oral traditions, such as the Big Bang. What's not you know, as science is science, and then that's how all creation began, or God spoke. Is the first thing that happened. That's sort of a, a metaphor for some sort of sound that we're in this great reverberation in this moment. And so music itself is some sort of, to me, this sacred form of relationships and, and of math, essentially, you know, relationships of tones and, uh, and also then rhythm and how this all works with our brains and bodies. Um, we're kind of playing with sacred forms these things that are the the base forms of the universe, ratios and rhythm and and tone and texture. And what we can do with it is essentially manipulate our consciousness and our emotions. And we do it all the time by putting songs on the radio or I want to hear this or I want to hear that. Or like I said, we use it in films to make it more emotional or or we use it as a weapon um, or we use it as a tool to uh, ultrasound and all sorts of things. So in some ways, I'm not sure modern life in the modern world has fully harnessed the power of music. And there's some evidence that perhaps it was a bigger technology in the past, but that's a little bit metaphysical and hard to say. Um, but nonetheless, it's been around for since the beginning. And um, I really enjoy playing with those forms, even if I don't fully understand what they all are. I feel it just as much as anyone else feels it. We don't have to understand it to feel it. And that's what's so great about, about music. And so for me, it's, it's a way of life, but it's also a job, which is a, a blessing for me because then it forces me to keep doing it. Yeah. Isn't that funny, the way that that comes through, that uh, you know, our work kind of keeps us in our practice yeah, yeah. in a way? It's a, I love it. For me, it's like I love that what I do, I like to do, and it's actually my way of life. And so it's like it's all just one thing, which I would wish for anybody. I like that you know, there's no separation between yeah. your spiritual path, your personal life, in a sense, and what you do publicly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was proud about the Ramdas record because it's mostly uh, acoustic instruments except the drum programming. So it's all everything you're hearing there is real, whether it's the the, the various strings or the pianos or the, the flutes, um, mm -hmm. saxophone, the vocals, um, the, the upright bass, uh, all those things are just things we recorded. That's amazing. It's really, um, it's just amazing the way that it all came together. And so powerful that so much of this was just your learning, learning it along the way, just 
going in and, and playing and letting it. Yeah. If anything, I hope that's inspiring to people because uh, it, it really, I really do feel like I didn't have a special talent at that. I just kept doing it and you will, you do get better when you just keep trying it. Mm -hmm. I've probably recorded 30, 40 albums and of different forms of different shapes. And each one you learn, you learn by doing there's, I don't know if I don't know another way aside from turning that power over to someone else and you just keep paying someone else to do it. But I needed the control because I had a very specific vision of this, this, the sound you're putting together, like the constituent parts, those details are what make it hit the mark or not to me. And so it, those details, they're almost impossible to convey to someone else. So it was like, there's no option, but I need to figure out how to do this, how I want to do it because how it comes together is that special alchemy where it creates the feeling that it creates in you. And if it's a little bit off, it doesn't work. It's, it can push you away as, a, as opposed to pull you in. Right. That feeling of being drawn in for me definitely, definitely comes through in your work. Yeah. I mean, his words are powerful enough. And I think like we've been saying, you put them with the right kind of music and it, it really comes alive. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what, a lot of my records are all about is creating a space of feeling for you to kind of push away the noise of your life and, and hear what's already there inside. And the Ram Dass record really takes you on a, a journey that way, connected experience. It's a 60 minutes, the whole thing. It's pretty long, but it was meant to be, it was very thoughtful. And it's sort of, if you were to listen from start to finish, how that would all fit together. And you released it in almost like seasons didn't you? Where it was just yeah. a couple tracks at a time? Yeah, like right now it only exists as one album, just called mm -hmm. Ramdas, and of course the Reworks album that I mentioned. But initially it was, it was released in chapters. And then we, once the, all of it was out, we could have just combined it together. But that was a way of having the, like let's say there's five songs that come out at first, you can sort of digest, they're like micro teachings. It gives you time to kind of work with what he's saying as opposed to it just all coming out at once. It might be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and attention spans are quite short these days. We didn't want to just, it to just be a two week thing and then people move on. It's like, we want it to really be a companion. We, again, we were trying to reach as many people as possible. So we thought if we stretched it out, that, that could be more of a conversation than uh, just a happening. That's a really, uh, really brilliant way to do that. The longevity of this is, uh, it's built in. I mean, it's just, it feels really timeless. Um, well, he's timeless and he's speaking about timeless things. And I, I've always tried to make music that has a timeless character to it mm -hmm. as opposed to something very trendy. And I'm proud of that because even some of them records I made 10 years ago, I think sound as um, relevant today as I did then and I think when you're working with things like pianos and strings and it's definitely kind of a contemporary classical but it has elements of electronic elements of uh, pop mm -hmm. elements of sometimes even a little hip-hop uh, mm -hmm. some of these things are fairly universal as far as within decades you know so certainly a song like I'm Loving Awareness that's kind of ambient contemporary classical experimental in a way it's not in any genre, so it's sort of hard for it to right. get uh, fad, like, oh, the, listen to that. That's so 2019. It's like, <laughs> I don't think that will ever happen with that song. It'll just be what it is forever. Right. It's beautiful. It's, it is, that one's very timeless. It is. It's a beautiful, beautiful work. One of the, I guess the last thing I, I 
next to last thing I want to touch on. Um, it's so clear. It was so clear to me just when I when I heard your music. I'm like, this is someone that's firmly on the spiritual path. Who have been your your most profound teachers that you study with, and and when did you when did that opening happen for you? Were you were you raised in this deep spiritual tradition, or did this sort of come for you as you got older? Or? Um, I've always been very stubborn about being told what to do and teachers since I was a little <laughs> kid. And I think that's, so I've, I've had a hard time like with any particular lineage mm-hmm. or practice. I've dabbled in a lot of things over my life. And I, I grew up with a atheist father, kind of an agnostic mother. So there sort of can never, there was never any like collective agreement on <laughs> what, what was what in the universe. It was just kind of, so I didn't have that. And I think because of that, actually, I was very hungry for meaning when I had to go find it myself. And we grew up in a liberal progressive household. So there were certainly no limits on what I wanted to learn, but I really didn't, I didn't have anywhere to turn to. And I think that's a very common happening with folks in the West is that we're spiritually bereft. We don't have elders. We certainly don't have any rites of passage. So you just kind of stumble into adulthood and you're like, what does this all mean? Like, why? You know, and that hit me hard many, many times. Even when I was a little kid was the why. And there was no answer. Amazingly, there was no one around me with an answer. A, because I didn't have any religious figures around me. It's like, well, here's the answer. So I didn't have that. Or the ones I had, I just, they weren't good enough for me. It's like, what? It's, it just felt like, uh, you know, empty candy. Give yourself to Jesus. I'm like, what does that mean? I don't right. know. It's like, what do I, so I say a sentence, now what? Like, what do I do? Uh, and I just didn't feel it had the depth to it. Um, and I didn't have any, obviously, indigenous traditions around me, unfortunately. So I didn't have anything. And so I was really lost in that way. And so I think that's one of the reasons I got into a lot of creative things. I mean, obviously, I had a predilection for that, but it fed a certain part of me. Going back to what we said at the beginning, I believe like that's fire something up in you about that is a connection to source. Mm-hmm. And so that was one way I was trying to find it. Nature and being outside, I grew up in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. So that, that certainly helped. And I reconnected with that. But what happened was I was in my, um, I was living in New York city in my twenties and my original, I think path was one of the typical American try to be famous and rich, the fame game. So I went to New York and I was an actor and I was doing a photography as a day job and I was doing music, but it was, wasn't my job. It was just a very busy passion of mine. And in my late twenties, sort of a Saturn returns time, everything started to fall apart. It wasn't working anymore. It was also when the 2008 was when the recession happened. So my photography business wasn't struggling. Acting world was struggling because of the recession. So everything just was kind of not happening. And the bands I was trying to push weren't happening. And of course, as the universe would have it, I started to be invited and fall into these uh, ceremonies like ayahuasca, the first ayahuasca ceremony. And all of it just started to really open me up. And I started to think about that. I started to see for the first time through my own felt experience, through the psychedelic experience, uh, just a few of them with these various traditions not only was there more, but I felt it. I didn't understand it, but I, I was, it was, no one told it to me. I was like, oh, okay. 
there is i it was i was right that there's more there's more there's so much more to the universe and to existence and consciousness and so music was a way for me to try to replicate that feeling and use it as a tool to kind of in meditative states to get into that sense of feeling connected soul space infinite space and and, and from there i uh i think i was just really dedicated to i think i don't know if it's ramdas who said this or or maybe it's been said before but it's kind of like when you awaken to what the game is in a sense like there's only there's only one show in town i mean that there isn't anything else so i mean there's not really a choice it's just like and it's not a burden it's like well, it's just i don't know i once you kind of wake up in a sense that you can't go back to sleep it's like i know that it all has meaning and there's no other everything else is just sort of subservient to that and everything else is uh kind of a distraction in a way. I mean, it's all part of the, the pie. But I was talking about this yesterday to my partner, Radha. Um, and we were just kind of saying, it's like, it's not like my whole life is spiritualized, not because it's some choice. I guess it is a choice, but it, it just is. I don't, like we says, like, because it is, because it is. It's like, there's everyone's life is. It's just how much you want to admit to it and be mindful to remind yourself of that. Like everything the coffee I drink and it's beautiful. It brings a sense of meaning to my life. The conversation we're having now and like even, and then more importantly, like the struggles I have, like whether I feel lazy or I feel depressed, it's sort of again, that, that loving it all as Ram Dass said, and me just sort of loving it as opposed to trying to change it so much. And that because in trying to change it is where my suffering is in a, in a yes. way. And by loving it, I can, I can shift it perhaps and perhaps even change it, but it's, it's the different mechanism. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that it's all okay. And what I'm looking for is inspiration on a micro and daily level and macro level. Like I'm just looking to be inspired by things and people and conversations and things I see and feel. And by inspiring others through words and music, frankly, I'm inspiring myself. And that's why I do it because it's a practice. My practice is one of continually walking the walk as a way of, or I should say talking the talk as a way of walking my own walk it, it feeds the other and i think people think it's often it has to be the other way around they're like i have to be i have to arrive somewhere i have to sweep the ashram for 20 years i have to learn these things and then i can espouse the wisdom it's like what if by holding the truth that you know is true for the other person you're kind of actually just mirroring it back to them so from their perspective you're the one giving it to them but all you're doing is like saying the things that you know are true or that you're feeling are true, even if you don't feel like you're perfect at them. That's what, that's what Ram Dass did all his life. That's an inspiration for all of us. It's like, we all are it. We all can do it. Uh, it's just a matter of having the courage to be vulnerable enough to step forward and say, I don't know, but I know, and you know too, and I'm just reflecting it back to you. I'm reminded of, uh, I think it's like the, the very third line. It was the point that I just was like, <laughs> You know, I'm driving in my car and I and I hear your music at first and then I hear I hear his voice. I don't know it's him, you know. We have to get out of our minds. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> right. And then and then by the time he says, I'll tell you how I do it. And it was just like the sweetness and the humility in that. Just, you know, I'll tell you how I do it. And then I was I think I said out loud in the car, I'm like, Oh my god, it's Ram Das. <laughs> And not only does he tell you, but the song then becomes an exercise to feel it. 
Yes. It's not just an idea. That's what's cool about that song is it's the ultimate piece of musical technology. It's like, if you want to, all you have to do is listen and pay attention and you will experience the feeling he's describing. It is. It's just such a beautiful, um, it's a meditation. It's a meditation that you mm -hmm. have created with him in that way. It's, uh, it's extraordinary. So I see that one of the things that's coming up next for you is you're going to Australia to yeah February a, a 2020. Mm -hmm. That's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. And will be I think a wonderful opportunity, right, to bring a lot of a lot of healing and a lot of your gifts in a in a very much needed environment right now. I hope so. Like, uh, we're certainly going with that intention, and I've never been to that continent, so it will be an adventure. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm on social media, of course, Instagram and stuff, East Forest and East Forest Music. But sometimes you miss, I guess the email list would be the best way because it goes ge geographically to where you live. Like if I'm playing in your state or something, it would give you an email. Well, I'm going to be looking for you. Please come to Tucson. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. So I'd love to get back there. Yeah, it's sweet here. And it would be so great to have your energy here and uh, to hear your music live. I love, love, love that idea of, of uh, sort of concert as ceremony. I think there's uh, many, many people here in this community that would love to be a part of that too. So I'm going to kind of keep my ears open and uh, connect with some people that I know here and see if there's maybe a, a venue and a time to That'd be great. put yeah. something together. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has just been wonderful to connect with you. I'm so excited that I discovered your music and your gift and really appreciate your generosity and in, in talking with me. Yeah, well, thank you for your time. It's been fun. Of course. thinking minds I'll tell you how I do it I'm using a mantra a phrase I am loving awareness All music in this podcast, courtesy of East Forest, from the album East Forest and Ram Das, available at eastforest.org and in all of your music streaming sites. This has been another episode of 
the University of Arizona Center for Compassion Studies Conversations on Compassion. This has been produced by Gary Forger. Our sound engineer is Gary Darnell and the incredible team at the University of Arizona Office of Instruction and Assessment. This is Leslie Langbert with the Center for Compassion Studies. Thanks for listening.